And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says God is long-suffering. And the apostle Peter goes back to this idea of God's longing for, of God for the repentance of individuals, of sinners. The Lord is not slow about His promise. As some count slowness, some versions say slack. He, God, the Lord is not slack. He's not slow as some count slack, but is patient. Or long-suffering is another word there. He is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Based upon the character of God, God gives individuals time. He gives individuals time. And we have examples of God actually doing that in some very real, real situations. Let's look at two of those. One in the Old Testament, the other in the New Testament. So let's look at the at first the example in the Old Testament. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis in the days of Abraham. Now you remember God made some promises to Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless your, you so that you have children yes, and you're going to become a great nation. And, and I'm going to give you a promised land and through your seed I'm going to bless all nations. And so you got that threefold promise being made by God to Abraham. And it, but the thing is, it didn't happen in Abraham's lifetime. Those promises were not completely fulfilled in the lifetime of Abraham. And Abraham lived longer than most of us will live. And so you think about you know, one of the reasons why. Why did God not just you know, go ahead and immediately fulfill that promise? Why did Abraham, as long, as much as, as well as some of his descendants, why did they not receive the promised land of Canaan? Well, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, you're told why. It's because God gave the Amorites more time. That's why. And so you look there, he says, okay, when, will, when will they receive this land? He says, well, Abraham, he's talking to Abraham. He says, okay, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be buried at an old age, verse 15. And he says, it's going to be in the fourth generation. So four generations later, they will come back to this promised land. And the reason why, he says, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God gave the Amorites more time to choose their path, to live their life. Let's look at one example in the New Testament. Since you go to the, the last book, we looked at the first book of the Bible. Now let's look in the last book of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 2, the Lord is speaking through the Apostle John. And the seven churches of Asia Minor are being addressed. And particularly there, as you see in the second chapter, down in verse, you know, verse 20 and 21, he's talking to the church that was in the city of Thyatira. And the Lord is you know, make, you know, giving some rebukes. And he says, and particularly there was an ungodly prophetess that was a member in that church in the city of Laodicea that was said that she, 
God had given her time to repent. But she refused to. So you look there in chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have this against you, talking to the church. I have this against you, the church, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and leads my bondservants astray. So that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. And she does not want to repent of her immorality. God grants you and I, you and me, time. The time that we need. Because of his character, but also because that's how he, is, how he has manifested himself throughout the history of mankind. And so when our time, when each of our times are used up or runs out, however you want to say that, when our time has come to an end, we will not be arguing with God. I didn't have time to obey the gospel. I didn't have time to make amends. We will not be defending our saying and saying, I didn't have time to overcome my sinful addictions. Neither will we say, I didn't have time to grow in your word. Or I didn't have time to regularly worship you. I didn't have time to put on the fruit of the Spirit. I didn't have time to teach my children. I didn't have time to take care of my parents. On and on, you can go illustrating things that makes the point driven home. God grants each one of us our time. The time needed. Now that does not mean that we're all going to have the same number of years or the same number of days. No, that's going to vary. Whatever time that we have as individuals, as men and women, whatever time we have on earth, it will be the time needed to do what God expected us to do. So use it wisely. Utilize your opportunities. And so that, for that reason, my exhortation is this, is manage every day's opportunities by choosing what reflects Jesus. Like Paul, Paul made a, a, a statement in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. May that be our mindset as well. May we grow and cultivate a faith and a commitment and a devotion like Paul. Where we can say, it's not me living anymore, it's Jesus living in me now. May that Christ-mindedness help us to grasp today. To grasp the opportunity that today presents to us. And so that we use it in a way and we utilize it in a way that will glorify God. That will give honor and praise to our Savior and King. You can look at an example very quickly. In Mark 14, in Mark 14, there's an account about a disciple of Jesus named Mary. And Mary does something very 
sacrificial, very humbling. And what she does is she comes before Jesus and with a very costly ointment of perfume, she begins to wash the feet of Jesus. And in that audience, you've got people who see what she's doing to Jesus, and they actually rebuke her. They criticize what she's doing. Actually, verse 4, it says some of them were indignant. So they weren't like, it wasn't like light criticism. They're, they are being overly critical about what she's done. And they're thinking, what she, is, you know, she is wasting that precious ointment. And he says, and they scolded her. So he, she's doing this to Jesus. And you got the other people in the room in being indignant and scolding her what she's doing. And Jesus says in verse 6, let her alone. Leave her be. Why do you bother her? I don't think Jesus is saying that very kindly. I think he's being firm and bold. Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken in memory of her. What did Mary do? Mary grasped the opportunity that she had remaining. She knew, she understood, we don't have Jesus much longer. And so she did what she could. And she took that very precious, costly perfume and poured it on, on Jesus' head, anointed him. In spite of the criticism, in spite of the scolding, she didn't care what other people said about her. She was grasping that day's opportunity. Because you will not relive it again. So manage every day's opportunities by choosing that which reflects Jesus. That shows a Christ-mindedness. First of all, prioritize righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Prioritize those things in your heart, in your mind. In Acts chapter 24, what we have is you have the Apostle Paul. He's in prison because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's a prisoner. And he's called before the governor Felix. And what Paul does, Felix wants to hear what Paul has to say. And Paul is glad to speak to anybody and everybody about Jesus, even if he's a prisoner. And so we're told in Acts chapter 24, you know, beginning there in verse 20, 24, he says, But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla 
His wife, who was a Jewish. Now, Felix is not Jew, but his wife is. And he sent for Paul, because Paul's in prison. So he brings him out of, and brings him out of, the, out of the, the cell. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is, is using this opportunity, preaching to Felix, teaching Felix about faith in Christ. And then, he, then we see what did that involve? What are some of the major points that it, that's involved when you preach Jesus, when you preach the one true faith? And he says in verse 25, excuse me, in verse 25, but as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, go away for the present, and when I, have t- when I find time, I will summon you. I don't think he ever summoned Paul back to really hear the convicting truth. And change. Felix doesn't change as far as we know. In spite of the fact he heard about righteousness, self-control, and judgment. We need to prioritize those things in our life. That is, God's righteousness must be pursued. Because it's the standard. I'm not the standard. You're not the standard. Our culture's not the standard. God's righteousness is the standard. And that's the standard by which we all are going to be measured. And that's what God's going to judge us by on that final day when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But seeking righteousness is not simply an academic exercise. It's not just something that we talk about and we preach about in worship or in Bible classes. No, seeking righteousness is to be practiced and proclaimed. When you preach faith in Christ, and that includes righteousness, that means it's a righteousness that is to be practiced and a righteousness that is to be proclaimed. We are to live it and we are to teach it. And that's where self-control comes into play because unless we implement that every day, then we're not seeking and walking righteously. And God's judgment to come, well, that ought to be at the forefront of our thoughts because we're all accountable to the Creator. So prioritize that. Every day, prioritize the concepts, the truth about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come as part of your life, as part of your thought process, as part of your conversations. Manage every day. Because you only have today. Yesterday's gone. And tomorrow we don't know it will come. But what else? What else can I do to grasp today's opportunities? Well, secondly, minister to the needs of others around you. Opportunities of serving are frequent. They're frequent. They really are. And it may may involve family and friends. Or it may just involve brethren and neighbors. It could be anybody. People that's close to you. People that you're not very close to. But there's opportunities all around us constantly where we are given opportunities to serve. That we're given opportunities to minister. Why is that so important? Well, because... In the judgment, that judgment that is to come, in the judgment, entrance into heaven. Entrance into the heavenly kingdom 
will be partly dependent upon us grasping the opportunity of ministering to other people, to other brethren. In Matthew chapter 25, Matthew 25, a chapter that talks about judgments, and Jesus is teaching about judgments, and he uses a number of different illustrations to drive his point home. But at the, at the end of the chapter, as you look there in verse 34 through 41, he says, The king will say on his right, Come, you are blessed, and my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he said, because, and he said Okay, it's for you. Enter, enter the kingdom. He's, and he tells us why. Well, because I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was naked, I was sick, I was in prison, and you ministered to me. You fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. You, you visited me when I was sick and in prison. And of course, that response, well, well, king, when did we do that for you? He says, when you did it, you look there down in verse 40. Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Mary did good to her Lord when she sacrificed that valuable perfume and anointed him for Jesus' burial. She had that day, and she grasped it because she didn't know if tomorrow was going to come. And that's how we need to approach our ministering of other, other people. Like I say, it involves all sorts of situations, family, friends, neighbors next door, you know, strangers you know, in the community, brethren in the family of God. Our Lord and our Savior came serving, and he came serving at great cost to himself. As his disciples, what are we called to do? To imitate him. That means we are called to be servants. We are to be serving others as well. Opportunities come and go. Don't be negligent. Don't let those opportunities pass you by without you trying to do something. It doesn't always have to be big. You think about the idea, a cup of cold water. Someone's thirsty and you give them a drink. That's pretty simple. And so we're called to minister. And we have to minister every day, day by day. And finally, also, daily do the things that make peace. And that's true in your marriage, in your home, with your brethren in Christ, in the workplace, in your neighborhood. At school, daily do the things that make peace. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, part of the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. 
God calls us to peace. Jesus is our Prince of Peace, tearing down the dividing wall of enmity and bringing together people from all cultures and all classes and all races and making us one people. And so he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Every day, do the things that make for peace. At home, in the church, wherever you are. In Hebrews chapter 12, our last passage of today. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Listen to what the Holy Spirit reveals to us in regard to what, what we should be pursuing. And in this particular verse, it, it, it kind of hones in and you know, focuses in on two things primarily. Now, these are not the only two things we do and should be doing as Christians, but these two things are highlighted in verse 14. He says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace. Peace is not attained without effort. And how true it is. Maintaining peace at home takes a lot of work, does it not? And the very word pursued carries with it the concepts of decision making, focused direction, and diligence. All three of those are involved. If I'm going to make peace, maintain peace, keep peace, I've got to, I've got to be of the mind where we make that the right kind of decisions, we, we keep working in that direction, and we keep being diligent in that effort. So yes, that needs to be done at home, that needs to be done in our churches, that needs to be done in our community as we interact with neighbors next doors that sometimes may be somewhat disagreeable. Or fellow workers that may be difficult to work with. Life is a challenge. But as a people who have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light, we need to realize we need to make the most of our time. We need to walk with circumspection. We need to be careful. We need to manage every day's opportunities with a Christ-likeness. Your words, your actions, your patience, your kindnesses, your sacrifice, all of that and more. All of those kind of things impact other people. And it impacts relationships. So don't let opportunities go by when you can facilitate in some way peace in that relationship. God created time. He's the creator of time. And he has placed us within that framework. And by placing us in that framework, he is giving us all our own time. So don't waste it. And don't bury those opportunities that come your way each and every day. So as we think about growing and maturing spiritually this year, in the year 2021, another aspect of that growth is Work at better managing each day that God gives you. you do, do the most and the best you can to use it in a way to glorify God, to do the Lord's will and draw, your clo draw you closer to God and to Jesus, your Redeemer. Today is a day of salvation. 
Today is the day of sanctification. And right now, Jesus is offering you an invitation. And this invitation is open 24-7. But he's offering it to you right now and saying, if you'll come to me, if you'll turn to me in faith, in obedience, he says, I will forgive you of all your sins. And I will add you to my family. And I will make you an heir with me in heaven. Today is the opportunity you have. Five hours from now, I don't know. Tomorrow, I don't know. But right now, you have. What are you going to do with that? If you believe Jesus to be the Christ with all your heart, you believe that. And you believe him to be the Son of God who died on Calvary's cross for you, for the world, to save us from our sins. But you've not obeyed the gospel You've not obeyed his commandments to have your sins remitted. We we'll encourage you to do that today, to make that allegiance, to make that commitment by confessing your faith with your mouth unashamedly before others, to repent of your sins. Sin is in our life, and it's sin that separates us from God. And we've got to be willing to repent of that, that decision to turn away from that and turn toward God and to begin that journey, that walk with Christ by being baptized in the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of our sins. If you're ready to do that, we're ready to help you with that. And we encourage you to do so. If you are a Christian, but perhaps you have strayed, you've fallen along on the wayside, and you need to turn back to the Lord, you need to renew your sanctification, if we can assist you anyway spiritually, to pray with you for, for you. We invite you as well. Whatever your wishes and desires are this morning, please come. Make them known to us as we stand and sing the song that's selected.